Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Peter Gebbett Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Timothy Hankst, and today is August 18th, 2020, which means I am on day 248 in a row of 365 promised episodes. It brings you unedited, unscripted, improv, news, movies, music, sports, food, entertainment, and all things except politics. In sports news, folks, the San Diego Padres had an amazing game yesterday against the Texas Rangers, winning 14-4. What was the controversy? Well, apparently, when you're batting in the MLB and you're ahead in the count, 3-0, and the bases are loaded and you're already up 10-4, the coaches want you to take the pitch, no matter what. They don't want you to swing. They don't want you to go for the fences. But young man, Fernando Tatis Jr., 21 years old, barely able to drink, smashed a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch with the bases loaded up 10-4 and is getting ripped apart for what he did. I have no idea what's wrong here. The guy plays baseball. He swung the bat, and he got a bunch of runs. Why is anyone mad at him? Now, I didn't know there was an unwritten rule, and I've watched baseball my entire life. And I know that if you're up by a lot of runs, you just want to get the game over. You're like, all right, the game's done. Let's stop wasting people's time. But if a guy hits a grand slam at any point in any game ever, you got to be proud of him. He is showing his value and his worth. The dude got seven RBIs in a game. That means seven of the 14 scored by the Padres, which is incredible, by the way, for any team to score 14 points in in an MLB game. Seven of those 14 came from one player hitting the ball viciously. I love this kid. He's phenomenal. He is seriously... He's being looked at by everybody. But the Texas Rangers coach was even more pissed than anyone else. He couldn't believe what Tatis Jr. did. I don't understand still what he did wrong. I have no idea what the problem is here. The guy hit a grand slam. Everyone shut your mouth. Padres win 14-4. to Thank you. End of story. The NBA postseason began yesterday and the Celtics beat the 76ers. The Raptors beat the Nets, and the Nuggets beat the Jazz. That's about as much as people care about those games. What I was concerned about was the L.A. Clippers against the Dallas Mavericks, who started off the game, the Clippers did, beating the Mavericks 18-2 in the first quarter. 18-2. And then at one point, the Mavericks came back with one of the largest differentials ever, like 28 points or something, And ended up, at one point, beating the Clippers by 12. This was just embarrassing. Seriously, I was shocked. I stopped watching. I was watching the game. We were up 18-2 in the first quarter. I was like, heck yeah, this is how the whole series is going to go. I can't wait. This is amazing. And at one point, when we were down by 12, I stopped watching. Turned it back on when I saw that they were tied. I was watching the Padres game in between because, let's face facts, 14-4 is a phenomenal score for a Padres game. But the Clippers ended up coming back 
and beating the Dallas Mavericks with the ejection of Kristaps Porzingis after two technical fouls, which most of the NBA is arguing about and talking about how that was not fair and it shouldn't have happened. You know what? It did happen. Get over it. He got ejected. Luka Doncic scored 42 points and the Mavs lost. The Clippers need to win and win the right way. Not this up 18-2 first quarter crap and then give up a 12-point lead to the opposite team. Like, I don't even know how that happened. But in the next game, they need to get their heads right and they need to make this happen and sweep the Dallas Mavs so they can have a clean break and a little bit of extra time to recoup before they play the next team. I predict the Clippers winning this series, I thought with ease, but now I will say with a hard-fought battle because the Mavericks will not go into the night quietly. Well, folks, if you're tired of this pandemic and you're like, you know what, I'm thinking about having some fun. I'm going to head to Lake Tahoe in California and just, you know what, just kick back, put my feet in the water, enjoy the sunshine. It's It's been hot. Well, maybe you should think twice about that because a few folks in that area just tested positive for the plague. Yeah, I'm talking about the Black Plague, the Black Death. The thing that destroyed Europe and killed millions of people. The plague is alive and well in California. I can't even believe this is a real thing. Um, according to sources, sometimes this happens. This just comes out, you know, once in a blue moon. And traditionally speaking, people are either cured of it or the people that have it are quarantined and die off and nobody else gets it. But... From the way I've seen the spread of this not even threatening disease known as the COVID-19, I'm pretty sure the entire county that Lake Tahoe is in is going to shutter all their doors, require masks on everyone, including babies, and make people walk around in bubbles like the bubble boy from Seinfeld. I mean, the, the plague is actually a worrisome disease. COVID-19, not so much. I'm over it. I don't care about it anymore. I think I've already had it. I think everyone I know has already had it or they're not going to get it. I don't know what the deal is with this COVID BS, but I know the plague killed millions and devastated Europe at one point in time. So now we're sitting here dealing with the pandemic from the COVID and we've got the plague on the rise, the West Nile virus and mosquitoes around San Diego County. What is going on here, people? Is everybody sick from something? I mean, is there anyone who's healthy? I feel like I'm I'm not sick right now. So maybe maybe I'm the only one. But I got to say I just expect everything to happen. Malaria, bring it on. Smallpox, chicken pox, every kind of pox. I'm sure you're coming up next. Let's do this thing. I'm ready. Well, folks, John Jones of the UFC has relinquished his light heavyweight title finally as he sits on the sidelines 
working on negotiations with the UFC to come back this time as a heavyweight. Yes, he wants to fight Francis Nganu for the heavyweight title, and I say that is the super fight of the century. Of course, that title doesn't belong to Nganu right now. It belongs to Stipe Miocic, the current heavyweight champion. Now, if Stipe Miocic fights Francis Ngannou and loses the belt to him, then we'll get the super fight between Jones and Ngannou. But until then, it seems as though if John Jones is fighting for return at heavyweight into the UFC, he'll be fighting Miocic if he wants that belt. I say this is great news for UFC fans because John Jones' career has been shrouded in controversy. He has either failed drug tests to get his belt taken away or gotten in a car wreck in a hit and run in New Mexico and got his belt taken away or whatever the case, he always gets his belt taken away and this time he relinquished his belt because he doesn't want to fight in that division any further. It's time for him to gain some weight. He said he's talked to the UFC and he's in negotiations with them to return this time at heavyweight, which is good news because, you know what, let's face facts. As you get older and you're a UFC fighter, it's easier to gain weight for sure than it is to keep it off and maintain a level either below or what you're used to. It's just easier to gain weight. As you get older, you know, I, I find it easier to gain weight. Yeah, that's for sure. But I eat like a fat pig. This guy is coming back heavyweight style, finally willing to accept a little less money because months ago in May, he was in talks with Dana White about a super fight with him and Francis Ngannou. And of course, the amount of money he wanted was equal to like a Canelo versus Mayweather fight. And you're never going to see that purse at the beginning of a pandemic, no matter what. Finally, the UFC back on track, even though there's no fans bringing in money directly to the venues and paying for tickets, and that's a lot of revenue lost. But with the pay-per-views scoring a lot of dough and people getting bored with boxing and getting over it, and now it's time for UFC to take the reins as the number one fight organization to watch, I think they'll have enough money to pay John Jones, and he'll accept it and be satisfied because he's not made money in a long time. And this is what we've been all been waiting for. For any John Jones fans out there, He, I think he got beat by Reyes last time, but it went to decision and the judges gave it to Jones. He still has technically never lost in a professional MMA fight. Maybe this will be the one where Ngannou knocks him the hell out. I sure hope so. Not a fan. Remember back in 2002 when Jam Master J got murdered of Run DMC at Jam Master J. Can't believe that happened. Nobody ever got caught. Well, finally, they've indicted two men on his murder 18 years later. In fact, the main suspect who they indicted, Mr. Washington, was the main suspect back then as well. He, at the time, lived on Jam Master Jay's couch and was a known criminal. And apparently him 
and another man, who they did name as well, by the name of Carl Jordan, were the reason Jam Master J was murdered. In fact, they say Carl Jordan had a mask on, shot Jam Master J one time with a forty caliber handgun in the head, while Mr. Washington actually, you know, basically set up this whole thing in a studio in the Bronx. Yeah, that's pretty sad. But at least the families finally can take solace in the fact that these killers will be charged, and one of them's already in federal prison for a string of armed robberies that occurred after the fact. And that's just kind of sad because, you know, nothing's going to change. The guy will just continue his life in federal prison. But either way, he will never get out now because he is responsible, responsible for the death of a celebrity and a beloved person. You may finally rest in peace. Mr. Jam Master J of Run DMC. I gotta say, it's been a long time coming. Too long, in fact. And the murderer needs to be punished the right way. And listen to the Christmas CD by Run DMC over and over on repeat in his cell for the rest of his life. Last week in a Cleveland, Ohio couple who had planned to get married during the pandemic, well, before the pandemic hit, had the catering all set up, had everything ready to go for a massive ceremony with all their friends and family, decided to go away with that sort of reception and instead donate the food that they were going to serve to a shelter and serve 135 people delicious fried chicken while wearing their wedding gown and tuxedo. What an amazing story. These people decided, even though the wedding wasn't going to be what they had dreamed of, and there wasn't going to be this massive reception with all their friends and family gathered up and everybody giving toasts and all this cool stuff happening, they flipped the script and decided people in need were the ones that they could help and the things that matter most, and decided upon their own accord to do the right thing and donate all this food. And for the, for the most part, people in this shelter had never even attended a wedding or had something like this happen to them ever. So this is a very special moment. These people set a fantastic example as to what good human beings do during the times like this of a pandemic where people in need have no food to eat and the economy's struggling, I say thank you to this couple. Congratulations for getting married. You seem like you well, your marriage will last forever if you're both this nice and you both agreed to do this together. And I gotta say, I commend you for deciding to donate the food from your wedding to a shelter and allow these people to eat fat for, if not for only a day, that is amazing. You know, you deserve a medal for what you've done. But instead of that, you get a lifelong partner who you hopefully, not like most of the people in the world, it seems about 60% divorce, will stay together with and have this story to tell your grandkids someday about how generous you were on your wedding day. 
folks, it's time for the portion of the Peter Gabbett podcast we have all been waiting for. And that is Real Stories brought to you by me, Peter Timothy Hanks, and Barbecues, and that's B-B-Q-U-S-I-O-N. And today, folks, I'm going to tell you a story about a time when my own mother would do something generous during the holidays. And this was when she would work for either pennies or almost nothing, if not nothing, at a place called the Festival of Trees in the Memorial Coliseum in downtown Portland. Now, what this was, was during Christmas, people would have a beautiful Christmas tree. I'm talking decked out to the maximum that was so significant and amazing that it would be entered into a massive Christmas tree competition type scenario where others were allowed to come and put forth charitable donations towards getting this tree into their own house. It was basically a massive, beautiful Christmas tree auction that took place in such a format that it took up an entire coliseum, like a convention center-style space, where there was themed Christmas trees, such as Lego Christmas tree, with all kinds of Lego constructions all over it and everywhere around it. There was SpongeBob SquarePants Christmas trees. There was traditional, you know, Santa Claus and reindeer Christmas trees. There was Barbie doll trees. There was Star Wars. There was every type of Christmas tree theme you could imagine, all set up in these separate areas, gated off separately, each one of them, so that people could walk around and take pictures of them and see the different types of trees, and place bids on them, and donate for whatever cause. It was amazing. This thing, I would go to it every year as a kid, and I had such a good time at each one. And, you know, it's not a typical place that a kid would enjoy, because there's no video games, there's no TV, There's no sports being played. There's no things that let you run around and go crazy. But what there is, is amazing and beautiful Christmas-related decorations that you can look at and appreciate and respect and enjoy. And on the side, there was a massive stage where young dancers from all around of different dance academies were allowed to showcase their skills in a Christmas-themed dance competition where, I swear, I would see the most amazing and crazy stuff that really made me have a sense of pride for what people do who are dancers. I personally am not a dancer. I have no rhythm. I can't do it. But for these ballet-type dancers who would put on a show during this Festival of the Trees, they were fantastic. My mother would do the sound for this sometimes, and that's a difficult task to somehow get all the sound connected for a massive stage-type event, and the music, and the background noise, and everything. What an undertaking it was. There were times where I was lucky enough to come help her set up and break down, and I gotta say, it was an amazing experience. It was something my mother would do just to sort of give back to the community. I mean, I think she got paid a handful of nickels. It wasn't much, but it was worth it. And it gave us something to look forward to during Christmas time. We were super excited about it. I did it every year when I was young. 
And you know what? You would go there and there were some trees that were set up where it was a massive, beautiful Christmas tree that was super ornate with every little detail you could imagine. Fake snow, lights, ornaments, and next to it would be an actual Santa who was there to listen to what you wanted for Christmas. You would get on his lap. You would tell him there would be a line that formed. He would have his little helpers, an elf, everything. Of course, nowadays with social distancing, it would all be virtual or you would have to stand six feet away or he would be in a booth with plexiglass and you would have to talk through an intercom. It's all BS now. It's all crap. But back then, I tell you, it was amazing. Things were so, you know, personal. You really got to feel that you were talking to Santa, that you were in the most Christmassy place you could possibly be in with so many beautiful trees surrounding you. They would serve cookies with sprinkles that were red and green. And just there was a section where it was a build your own cookies or gingerbread houses and all kinds of one of them was a gingerbread house themed massive Christmas tree area where next to it there was a giant like Christmas tree sized gingerbread house and then an area where you can build your own and this this stuff was so amazing all the hands-on experiences you could have there would be an area where you could create your own button that you would wear on your shirt there was an area where you made necklaces and you made ornaments for your own tree at home. This place was so amazing. And I don't even know how my mom found out about it. I think it was through somebody at her church. And it just goes to show that Christmas is the season of giving and perpetual hope. And it was brought to the highest degree of that explanation by my mom and the workers at the Festival of the Trees in downtown Portland that I believe still goes on. If you live there, check it out. Look into it. It's probably going to be garbage because of the social distancing this year, but usually it's way better. And for that, I say I appreciate you listening to the Peter Gabbett Podcast today, folks. It means the world to me to have listeners like you. I hope you have a great day, a fantastic afternoon, and I will talk to you, that's right, tomorrow. Folks, one of the greatest female pop artists of the 80s and early 90s happened to do the soundtrack for one of my favorite 80s movies of all time known as The Goonies. Her name, Cindy Lauper. And time after time, I'm reminded of her as I think about the Festival of Trees and how great of an experience it was for me as a child. So to commemorate those good times... In an 80s pop fashion, here is Cindy Lauper with Time After Time. Bye.
Time. 